0: You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 81 of the show, and it's another good episode. Lots of information coming your way in this one. Uh, we have a couple. We have an event on the PGA Tour to talk about, as well as preview, like we usually do. Uh, we have crowned a Stanley Cup champion in the NHL. Um, MLB season is continuing to roll along, quickly approaching the halfway point, and uh, lots of NBA news to get into as free agency has began, and uh, we're starting to see a lot of movement here. So we'll get into all that. We're going to start off like we usually do. In the PGA Tour, uh, last weekend's tournament was the Travelers' Championship. That was at TPC River Highlands, which was in Cromwell, Connecticut. It was a par 70. uh, Distance was 6,852 yards. It's one of the shortest courses on tour, but we still see some very low scores considering the par 70. Um, It did have the the last few holes, um, 15 through 17, that built around a four-acre lake, All right, So we had a little bit of water to deal with. Uh, this was the 39th year in a row that this tournament has been held at TPC River Highlands, and this course is also home to the lowest round ever recorded on the PGA Tour, uh, which was a 58, and that was shot by Jim Furyk back in the 2016 final round. All right, so a uh, pretty good field. We were set to have six of the top 10 golfers out there. Uh, including the top four in the FedEx Cup standings. But that turned out to be five out of the top ten, top three in the FedEx Cup because Justin Thomas, he was supposed to be out there, but he actually withdrew from the tournament on Wednesday last week due to a back injury. So uh, we had some big names out there. Uh, Last year's version of this tournament, we had an eight-hole playoff marathon event. It was the second-longest playoff in PGA Tour history. And um, every champion that we've seen here at the Travelers since 2016 had played in the U.S. Open the week prior. Well, you can make that uh, seven. All right, we'll get into that in a second. So the last seven uh, or last, uh, what is that? Yeah, seven champions now of this tournament have Played in the U.S. Open the week before, and we also had full fan attendance there at TPC River Highlands for the first time since before COVID started. All right, so the tournament itself, round one, we had a, a couple guys shoot really low. Rory McIlroy opened with a spectacular bogey-free round of eight under, 62. This was That was his third round of 62 or better uh, on tour this season, which is the most uh, by any player this season. Uh, Xander Schauffele ended up Seven under 63 bogey free as well in the first round. Uh, We also in the first round had a runaway golf cart. All right, there was an unmanned golf cart that uh, took off and went rogue, started driving around in circles, finally made its way down an embankment and into a pond. All right, so that was pretty entertaining stuff there. Um, Xander Shafley in round two, he came out with another strong. Round uh of 7-under-63, back-to-back 7-under-63s for Shoffley. Uh, was the lowest opening 36 holes score of his career. It was 126, and uh, he continued that momentum. He was actually your winner, Xander Shoffley was, with a score of 19 under par. Um, told you he opened up with a pair of 63s. Uh, third round was a 3-under-67 and closed with a 2-under-68, uh, which was good enough for a two-shot victory. Uh, It was his sixth career PGA Tour victory, all right, and he had a two-shot victory over J.T. Poston and Sahith Thigala. They both tied for second at 17 under par. Uh, J.T. Poston came out with an 8 under 62 in the opening round as well to tie Rory for the 18-hole lead, followed that up with an even par round of 70. Then he went 3 under 67 and closed with a 6 under 64 for a very, very solid weekend. For J.T. Poston. Now, Sahith Thigala, he's a rookie on tour this year. Been very impressive, certainly in the running for rookie of the year. He opened up with a 3-under 67, followed by a 5-under 65. He then went 6-under 64, and he closed with a 3-under 67. Now, that round on Sunday, uh, Sahith Thigala actually uh, was... I believe he he was in the lead or tied for the lead as he came up to the 18th hole. All right, he hit his tee shot into a bunker, a fairway bunker, and it was kind of right near the lip. Um, He didn't get it out on his first try. He did get it out on his second try, it was a layup. So he ended up uh, taking two shots to get out of the bunker that basically, um, you know, kind of ruined his chance at winning. Uh, He ended up double bogeying the hole. And uh, Xander Shoffley uh, took advantage of that on 18. Shoffley birdied 18. All right, and Thigala double bogeyed. So it was a three shot difference there that sent Thigala two shots back at Shoffley, and uh, gave Shoffley the win. Uh, Fourth place was uh, amateur golfer Michael Thorbjornsen. All right, he was uh, at 15 under par. Very impressive for an amateur. And then Chesson Hadley was uh, solo fifth at 14 under par. Now, uh, you'll notice I did not mention uh, Rory McIlroy. He came out with that opening round of eight under 62 and then ended up tied for 19th at nine under. So he only shot one under par for the entire uh, last three rounds. He shot even par on Thursday, I mean Friday rather, two over, 72 on Saturday, and then three under uh, 67 on Sunday. All right, so uh, very disappointing weekend for Rory. He was in control of this thing uh, after the first round and ended up finishing all the way down at tied for 19th. All right, so very disappointing uh, weekend for Rory. But like I said, Xander Schauffele was his sixth career victory on tour, his second of the season, uh, him and Patrick Cantlay, won the Zurich Classic of New Orleans about a month and a half, maybe two months ago now. And uh, he played in the U.S. Open the week prior, of course, so that makes seven uh, straight champions of the Travelers Championship that had played in the U.S. Open the week before. Uh, But that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the John Deere Classic. All right, that is at TPC Deer Run, which is in Silvis, Illinois. It's just... um, Northwest maybe of Chicago uh, in the vicinity there. It's a par 71, all right, distance 7,289 yards, about 400 yards longer than TPC River Highlands. Um, The course itself offers up a lot of birdie opportunities, but a lot of risk reward scenarios as well if you uh, are aggressive. Uh, We've played here numerous times on tour. It's been modified in recent years. They've shifted a lot of bunkers around, so it might look a little different than it has in previous years, but the field itself is a big one. Uh, It's 156 players, but uh, it is not great. Uh, None of the top 10 golfers in the world are going to be out there. Uh, None of the top 20 golfers in the world, I think. Uh, The most notable names that you'll see are Webb Simpson, Jason Day, Cameron Champ, and Adam Hadwin. All right, so not a whole lot of big-name golfers, a lot of rookies in this thing. Uh, there are nine former John Deere Classic champions in the field, all right, for this, so nine former champions. Um, Storylines for this thing, uh, this tournament is actually part of the uh, the Open Championship qualifying series, all right? There's three spots still up for grabs at St. Andrews, uh, the Open Championship coming up in a couple of weeks. And five of the last 10 winners of the John Deere Classic were first-time winners on tour. So that bodes well for a lot of these rookies, a lot of the first-time guys, uh, that half of the last 10 winners here at the John Deere Classic uh, were the first uh, victories on tour for those players. So not an exciting tournament. I'll probably tune in just due to the lack of hockey, the lack of basketball. Those playoffs are over. Uh, There's a solid chance that I'll be tuned in to at least some of this, but Again, like I said, not a very impressive field. I know my job's to kind of sell you on this stuff, but uh, I also need to be truthful in the fact that uh, we do not have a lot of big-name guys. Now, that doesn't mean the golf will not be competitive. I still think it'll be a good competitive tournament. We'll probably see some pretty low scores in this one as well with the par 71, uh, but we'll just have to uh, stay tuned, and we'll get you caught up on how all that went down next week. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and uh, do a Stanley Cup final recap of the last couple games. Uh, last week's episode, we recapped Game 4. All right, uh, we knew that Colorado had won Game 4 in overtime to go up 3-1 to one in the series, but what we did not talk about was all the drama surrounding Nazem Kadri's overtime game-winning goal. Now, first of all, Colorado, when Kadri scored, uh, very clearly had six men on the ice, so that's a penalty. Should not have counted as a goal. Um, should have been awarded a... Too many men, bench minor, uh, but the NHL released a statement saying that any of the four officials on the ice could have made the call, uh, but none of them saw the sixth guy on the ice. Now, as a hockey player, I get it. Um, You know, you don't necessarily focus on behind the play. The sixth guy was at the bench trying to get off the ice, so it wasn't completely obvious that he was in the middle of the ice or something, but uh, you definitely see six guys on the ice uh, in the replay. Uh, but none of them, none of the officials saw that, so it was not called. That's not reviewable, so the goal still stood. Now, with the shot itself, uh, Nazim Qadri's shot went up uh, to the, directly to the top of the net. Uh, it got wedged in between the uh, crossbar, back crossbar and the top of the net. Uh, nobody saw it originally go in. Uh, it took several seconds for people to realize it had gone in. In fact, they kind of huddled around the net looking for the puck, Tampa Bay Stephen Stamkos put his hand over the puck as he saw it uh, before anybody else did, so he tried to cover it. But uh, the referees ended up seeing it, and uh, then they celebrated because they knew the goal went in. But it was a very weird play uh, all the way around uh, because it should have never happened, for one. And two, nobody saw it go in. So very interesting sequence of events there. Uh, on that goal, though, Colorado goalie Darcy Kemper he actually got an assist on Nazem Kadri's goal uh making him the first goalie in NHL history to record an assist on an overtime goal in the Stanley Cup Finals so that's very neat there so that uh brought made the series 3 games to 1 in favor of Colorado going back to Denver for game 5 all right i didn't think there was a snowball's chance in hell that Tampa Bay was going to win game 5 all right colorado was at home where they had dominated Uh, with a chance to clinch the Stanley Cup. I did not think it was going to uh, be a Tampa victory, let alone any kind of close game. But it was, in fact, a close game. All right, Tampa actually opened the scoring with about four and a half minutes left in the first period. Colorado answered that one about five minutes into the second. All right, and then three minutes after that, quick, quick turnaround there, Tampa Bay... Uh, Nikita Kucherov, he scored to put the Bolts back on top heading into the third period. And two and a half minutes into the third period, Colorado's Kale McCarr, who else, right? He scored to tie the game at two, and then about halfway through the third period, Tampa's Andre Palat buried a wrist shot past Darcy Kemper to put the Bolts back on top for good. Uh, that is how the game ended, 3-2 to two, Tampa. So the the Lightning got out of there with a game 5 victory to make the series 3 games to 2 Colorado. Series went to Tampa for game 6. And you're thinking, "Okay, if Tampa Bay could win a game at home, game 6, send it to game 7, then anything could happen in game 7." And the buzz saw that was Colorado, uh were they really going to let a 3 to 1 series lead slip away like that? Well, the answer was no. Uh Tampa Bay actually opened the scoring four minutes into the game on this one, Game 6. Stephen Stamkos uh, buried a shot there, gave Tampa the lead, and that held all the way until about two minutes into the second period when Nathan McKinnon uh, buried a beautiful snapshot to tie the game. And then about ten minutes after that, um, Colorado's Arturi Lekanen. He was a good trade deadline acquisition for them, uh, free agent to be. He found the back of the net to give the Avalanche a two-to-one lead, and believe it or not, that is all she wrote on the scoring for Game Six. Uh, Colorado won the game two to one and won the series in six games. All right, they are your Stanley Cup champions, the Colorado Avalanche. I did pick Tampa Bay to win this series in seven games, but I knew that pick was doomed uh, after the first couple. Uh, but they at least made it to six games. All right, so Colorado. Is your 2022 Stanley Cup champion uh, for the first time in 21 years? All right, this was their third ever Stanley Cup championship as a franchise, just in their third Stanley Cup final appearance. So, all three times that um, all three times that Colorado has made the Stanley Cup final, they have won it. All right, so that is 100. percent And your Conn Smythe Trophy winner was none other than Colorado defenseman Kale McCarr. All right, he won the Conn Smythe as your playoff MVP. He's only the third defenseman in NHL history to win both the Norris Trophy as the top defenseman in the league and the Conn Smythe Trophy as your playoff MVP in the same season. The only other two guys to do that were Bobby Orr and Nicholas Lidstrom. All right, Bobby Orr did it in 1969, 1970, 1971, 1972, and then Nick Lidstrom did it in 2001, 2002. So it's been uh 21 years since we have seen that as well. Uh, but nonetheless, Cale McCarr is the third person. He's joins an elite group there of defensemen. Uh, but he's also McCarr is the first player in NHL history to win uh, the Hobie Baker Award, which is basically college hockey's equivalent to the Heisman Trophy, the Calder Trophy as the top rookie, the Norris Trophy as the league's top defenseman, Conn Smythe Trophy as your playoff MVP, and a Stanley Cup. So he's the first player ever to win all five of those awards. And oh yeah, by the way, uh, Kale McCarr is only 23 years old. So he is very clearly the best defenseman in the league. He's absolutely elite on both ends of the ice. And a very impressive season for McCarr. Uh, Avalanche head coach Jared Bednar. uh, He gets his first Stanley Cup championship as a coach. He also won uh, a championship in the AHL. And the ECHL. All right, so two minor leagues. So he's the first coach ever uh, in history to win a championship in the ECHL, AHL, and NHL. So pretty impressive stuff there. On the Tampa Bay side of things, we talked about Corey Perry. He was the first player to ever appear in three straight Stanley Cup finals with three different teams. All right, well, he lost the first two, so he joined the team that beat him, both of those two other Stanley Cup finals. And he loses this one, so he becomes the first player in NHL history to lose three straight Stanley Cup Finals with three different teams. Now, Tampa Bay, we know they were decimated by injuries, all right? And after the series, it came to light uh, just the extent of all the injuries that Tampa Bay faced during the playoffs. I'll just list uh, a handful of them. Uh, Pierre-Edward Belmar had a meniscus injury at the start of the playoffs. Anthony Sorelli had a uh, AC joint sprain against the Rangers, And uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals and actually dislocated his shoulder in this series against Colorado. Nikita Kucherov, I think it was game three uh, when he got cross-checked from behind, went down awkwardly. Uh, He sprained his MCL, so he finished the series with an MCL sprain. Uh, Nick Paul, he had an AC joint sprain as well against the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals, and he actually sprained his MCL as well against the Avalanche. Corey Perry... He had an AC joint sprain in his shoulder in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Rangers. Uh, Braden Point, in that opening round series, uh, or second round series, I guess, uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs, he actually tore his quad muscle, uh, and he came out and skated, I think, in one game maybe two games of this series, so very impressive for Point to get back out there. And then Ryan McDonough, he blocked a shot against the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals, and he just mangled his finger. So he was playing through that as well. Not to give the Lightning an excuse by any means, because Colorado was definitely the better team. If you watched it, uh, they were the better team on the ice. Uh, Tampa was probably the better team on paper coming into this thing with the playoff experience. Uh, but that didn't matter because the game's played on the ice and not on paper. And so, um, but if you give all of those guys complete full health uh, for the Lightning, uh, I do believe that the series may have been a different outcome, all right? But that doesn't um, excuse Andre Vasilevsky's poor play at certain points in this series. So, nonetheless, uh, the NHL season concludes the Colorado Avalanche. They were the preseason favorite to win the Stanley Cup, and uh, they finished the year as the Stanley Cup champion. So, Uh, They're the fifth team ever to do that. So uh, we got a lot to look forward to in the offseason here with free agents and trades and all that. So uh, what an impressive NHL season. Uh, Tampa Bay's run as back-to-back Stanley Cup champions is over, and your new champion uh, resides in the Western Conference, and that is the Colorado Avalanche. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball and do a standings update here in the MLB. Uh, Most teams have played about 78 to 80 games. Uh, Of course, 81 games is the halfway point of the season. So uh, I guess you could say we have officially reached uh, the halfway point of the season because next week's episode, we will have crossed that 81 game mark for these teams. So uh, we are at the halfway point of the season. The All-Star game is is quickly uh, approaching. Uh, We won't have uh, the All-Star Game rosters on this week's episode, but we will next week. Um, But with Major League Baseball, okay, of course, the NHL Stanley Cup Final just uh, concluded this past week, and the week before that, the NBA Finals concluded. So uh, Major League Baseball is the only of the four major pro sports leagues in season uh, for the next two months, all right? So the MLB, with the exception of uh, the PGA Tour, uh, which is not considered one of the four major pro sports leagues, uh, the MLB has the show to themselves uh, for the next two months. So they are flying solo. Uh, we'll just do a standings update real quick. Don't want to get too de- uh, too deep with it. But in the National League, the National League East, the New York Mets are up top. They're at 47-29. and 29. They have a three-and-a-half game lead on the Atlanta Braves, who are 44-33. The Philadelphia Phillies are third at 40-37. and They're seven and a half games back of the Mets, so they're kind of closing the gap a little bit, uh, thanks in large part to Kyle Schwarber. Uh, He has had a monster month of June. I think he had 12 homers in the month of June, which was exactly the amount that the entire Detroit Tigers roster had in the month of June. So Schwarber is the first Philadelphia Phillies player since 2013 to have at least... Uh, 22 home runs in the first half of a season. And the other person to do that was Dominic Brown. But uh, Philadelphia did get some more bad news with Bryce Harper. He got hit by a 97-mile-an-hour fastball last week and fractured his left thumb. So he's going to miss a little bit of time. But uh, he should be back, assuming that there's no uh, surgical repair needed. Now, also with the Phillies, uh, pitcher Mark Appel. He was actually the number one overall pick in the MLB draft uh, back Uh, Some nine years ago, he finally made his major league debut the other night, uh, which I think was the longest. uh, Nine years is the longest time for a number one overall pick to make their major league debut. But nonetheless, he finally did it. And uh, in his first inning of work, he did record his first major league strikeout. So a lot of stuff going on there with the Phillies. The Miami Marlins are 34 and 40. And then the Washington Nationals still there in last place at 29 and 49. National League Central, Milwaukee Brewers 44-34. and 34. They have a one-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 43-35. and 35. I would fully expect uh, those two teams to battle it out for that top spot. Uh, they have flip-flopped the past couple of episodes, uh, but I would expect the Brewers and the Cardinals to be 1-2 uh, and two in the NL Central when it's all said and done. The Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, they're 31 and 45. They're 12 games back of the Brewers. Uh, they became the first team in Major League Baseball history to have three different players have three home run games in the same calendar month. All right, So they had three guys uh, in the month of June that had uh, at least one game of three home runs. All right? First team to ever do that. Pretty impressive stuff there. They're not making the playoffs uh not in that National League that's super competitive. Uh the Chicago Cubs are 4th in the NL Central at 30 and 46, 13 games back of the Brewers, and then the Cincinnati Reds uh 26 and 49, they are uh, the worst team in the National League, all right? Not in baseball. They're still they haven't had that title for a while, but definitely the worst team in the National League. And then over in the National League West, the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, they're 47-28. and 28. They have a two-and-a-half game lead on the San Diego Padres. Now, the Dodgers have won seven out of their last ten, but they had to uh, place Walker Buehler on the uh, 60-day injured list. Um, I forget the extent of his injury, but uh, I think it had something to do with an arm, shoulder, or arm possibly. But uh, Walker Buehler is probably not going to be back until September, which is be just in time. For the playoffs, all right, so Walker Buehler's done for most most, uh, of the regular season, basically. Uh, But the Dodgers still two and a half games clear of the Padres, who are 46 and 32. San Francisco Giants, uh, they've not been playing well. They're they're 40 and 34. They're six and a half games back of the Dodgers. Uh, They've only won three times in their last 10 games, all right. So the Giants had been up there with the Dodgers and the Padres a couple episodes ago, but they have since sank a little bit. The Arizona Diamondbacks are 34 and 42. And then holding up the rear in the NL West is the Colorado Rockies. Now uh, they're 33 and 43, 14 and a half games back of the Dodgers. Now, Colorado starting pitcher Chad Cool, he pitched a complete game shutout against those Los Angeles Dodgers the other night. And he did so on only 102 pitches. So that's very impressive. Uh, just to do that in general, and then you factor in that it was against that potent Dodgers lineup, and that makes it even more uh, incredible. So uh, over in the American League, the American League East, all right, we still know who this is, it's the New York Yankees, they're 56-21, and 21, all right, they uh, uh, just keep winning. The Yankees were able to avoid contract arbitration with outfielder Aaron Judge this past week, who did sign a $19 million deal that is only valid for this season. Uh, there's some incentives in it for him to make some more money. Uh, but he's due for a massive payday in the offseason. Now, I've mentioned how the Yankees have been getting it done with pitching all year. Well, uh, they've also been doing it with the bats, too. Okay, They have three players with at least uh, 16 home runs. That's John Carlos Stanton. Anthony Rizzo, and Aaron Judge, of course. And speaking of Giancarlo Stanton, 10 of his 16 home runs this year, which would be 62% of his home runs so far this year, have been uh, either game-tying or uh, given the Yankees the lead uh, in, on that home run. Uh, the Major League Baseball average is 42. So uh, you can see Stanton is clicking uh, much higher than average there. Of course, Aaron Judge is damn near at 30 home runs before the All Star break, which is still just preposterous. Um, But the Yankees, they have a 12 and a half game lead on the Boston Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, both Red Sox and the Blue Jays are 43 and 33. uh, Still very much likely to make the playoffs, both of those teams. Um, If the playoffs, uh, this tells you how insanely good the Yankees have been. Uh, If the playoffs started in the American League right now, both the Boston Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays would be in the playoffs. And they're 12 and a half games back of their division leader. So uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees, this is the highest the Red Sox have been uh, in quite some time, probably since the first episode or first Major League Baseball episode standings update we did. Uh, they've won eight out of their last 10. They're really cooking in Toronto, that lineup. Toronto's going to have probably three or four all-star game starters based on how it's looking, but... Uh, so I wouldn't want any part of them either. But that's that division is stacked, and then you got the Tampa Bay Rays at forty and thirty five. They're fifteen games back of the Yankees, uh, two and a half back of the the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, and then the Baltimore Orioles are at thirty five and forty two. American League Central: the Minnesota Twins are forty three and thirty six. Okay, they have a one game lead over the Cleveland Guardians who are 39 and 34. Uh, Guardians won 16 games in the month of June. Very impressive. They were able to climb up. Uh, They did get all the way up to first place at one point. I think they were on last week's standings update, but uh, they did get up to first. Um, So they're hanging around. They're playing some good baseball. Uh, Chicago White Sox, been a little bit of a disappointment this year. They're 35 and 39, five and a half games back of the Twins, Uh, but they are... Uh, their their playoff chances are quickly fading if they can't put something together. Uh, the Detroit Tigers twenty nine and forty five, and Kansas City Royals twenty seven and forty seven. All right, um, just not going well. Over in the American League West, the Houston Astros are forty eight and twenty seven. All right, they um, they have a massive division lead, uh, but the Astros. They threw a combined no-hitter against the Yankees uh, last weekend, and it was only the second time in the last 64 years that the Yankees have been no-hit, and both of those have come against the Houston Astros, right? The other time was 2003, okay? So, in fact, uh, in that series, uh, fresh off of that game, the Astros actually held the Yankees hitless in 16 consecutive innings uh, over that weekend series last weekend, which Tied the longest consecutive hitless streak since 1961. All right. Uh, the other two teams to do that uh, reached 16 innings of hitless baseball were the 81 Dodgers and the 73 A's. Uh, Justin Verlander, Astros pitcher, he's the first starting pitcher, uh, well, first pitcher in baseball this year to reach 10 wins. Uh, so he's still doing his thing. All right. But the Astros have an 11 and a half game lead. On my Texas Rangers, who are still in second place, uh, have no idea how that's this is happening. Um, now the Rangers are thirty six and thirty eight. All right, so they're two games under five hundred, but uh, and they're eleven and 11 half games out of the division lead. But if you'd have told me that we'd the Rangers would be in second place in the AL West halfway through the season, uh, I would have certainly lost money on that bet. But Such is the case. Um, They're probably only going to have the the minimum of one all-star, you know, to represent the Rangers, but uh, they've had some guys that have certainly been playing at an all-star level this year that probably nobody's even heard of. So uh, Rangers keep, keep moving along there. The Los Angeles Angels are in third at 37 and 41. They're actually tied with the Mariners with that record. Both teams are 37 and 41. They're both 12 and a half games back of the Astros. Uh, Now, those two teams played each other uh, over the last uh, weekend, and there was uh, a bench-clearing brawl, okay? Outfielder Jesse Winker for the Mariners took exception to uh, getting hit by a pitch or close to getting hit, had some words with the Angels dugout, and they came out and started duking it out, all right? MLB reviewed the brawl footage and came up with suspensions for 12 people, and some notable ones were Angels manager Phil Nevin. He got 10 games. Angels closer, Rysell Iglesias, important part to their team. He got two games. And then on the Mariners' side of things, uh, Jesse Winker got seven games, even though he's the one that initiated this whole thing. Uh, J.P. Crawford, their shortstop, got three games. And then rookie sensation outfielder Julio Rodriguez having a terrific season. Uh, He got two-game suspension. They all appealed. So they've been playing intermittently while that appeal has been going on. But uh, on the Angels' side of things, Shohei Otani became the first player in Major League Baseball history to have at least 105 home runs and at least 60 stolen bases in his first 405 games. All right, so uh, we know what he can do. He was the AL MVP last year, um, just very impressive all the way around. And then on the Mariners' side of things, first baseman Ty France, he had to go on injured list with uh, an injury. Uh, He has been playing phenomenal this year, very likely to uh, get voted into the All-Star game perhaps, Uh, but um, he's going to be gone for a little while, so they needed a first baseman. Mariners actually went out and acquired uh, Carlos Santana from the Kansas City Royals in exchange for a couple of pitchers' um, prospects, so uh, Santana has played a few games with the Mariners as of this podcast, hasn't done great, but uh, he's still, I guess, um, an above- above a replacement level option. And then the last team in the American League West, which is also the worst team in all of Major League Baseball, it's the Oakland A's at uh, 25 and 53. They've only won twice in their last 10 games. So like I said, uh, we have reached the halfway point of the baseball season. Uh, Baseball is the only major pro sport to be running at this time for the next two months. So uh, we'll definitely keep you up to date as we move along since uh, baseball is the only uh, active major sport at the moment. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And that's where we do some quick news topics from across all of the various sports. And this is just a massive, massive Around the Island segment, uh, particularly in the NHL, the NBA, and the college football world. So uh, definitely buckle up here. We got a ton of info to get through. am going to start off real quick in the National Football League. Uh, The only notable re-signing that we had, of course, we're full-fledged offseason for the NFL getting ready to start training camp here in a few weeks, Uh, but the Washington Commanders, they have re-signed wide receiver Terry McLaurin to a three-year contract worth $71 million. Uh, 28 of that is guaranteed, and I thought this was random, 76.4% of the total uh, money in that contract is guaranteed, so um but 3 years 71 million for McLaurin to stay in Washington uh, which makes scary Terry um now inside the NFL's top 5 of highest paid wide receivers which certainly don't think he is in the top 5 of wide receivers um, maybe top 15 certainly not top 5 but over in the NHL uh, a few more head coaches have been hired Uh, The Detroit Red Wings, they have hired Derek Lalonde as their new head coach. Uh, He's the 28th head coach in Detroit Red Wings franchise history. Uh, Lalonde has never been a head coach in the NHL, but he was a head coach in the AHL for two seasons with a record that was just over 500. So uh, that's his only head coaching experience, and he has been an assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning since the 2018 season. So he has a couple of Stanley Cups as an assistant coach. He worked for uh, Detroit Red Wings general manager Steve Eiserman there in Tampa when Eiserman uh, was there. So uh, they got a little bit of a relationship. So I think it's a good hire. Uh, Lalonde is taking on a very young team, very talented team. Had the uh, Calder Trophy winning Moritz Sider on the blue line and uh, some good, exciting young talent up front as well. So that's a very interesting hire. I think he will have some pretty good success. The Boston Bruins, they have hired Jim Montgomery as their new head coach. Uh, Montgomery had been the head coach of the Dallas Stars for a couple of seasons before getting fired back in December of 2019 um, for uh, basically showing up to work drunk. He had a bit of an alcohol issue. uh, But uh, he went on to become an assistant coach for the St. Louis Blues the last uh, year and a half, and then now he is the head coach of the Boston Bruins. So what's interesting about this is uh, there's one more team that's hired a coach. It's the Winnipeg Jets. They just hired Rick Bonus as their head coach. So the, the Boston Bruins and the Winnipeg Jets have hired the last two Dallas Stars head coaches. Now, when Jim Montgomery got fired from Dallas in 2019, that's when Rick Bonus took over. Okay, uh, Rick Bonus became the head coach of the Stars due to that, and he led the Stars in those three seasons or two and a half. Uh, he took them to the playoffs twice, including one Stanley Cup final in the uh, 2020 bubble season. So. Bonus did have good success here in Dallas. Montgomery did too, um, but Montgomery had to go. Bonus took over for him. And um, what's funny is both of those guys, the last two Dallas Stars head coaches, are now uh, coaches for two other teams Montgomery and Boston, Bonus and Winnipeg. So the Stars will see Rick Bonus quite a bit, being that the Winnipeg Jets are in the Central Division with them. Um, but we did have one coach get fired uh, San Jose Sharks, they fired head coach Bob Bugner along with several other assistant coaches. the okay, Sharks were absolutely putrid this past year, missed the playoffs by a country mile, and uh, it was time for a change there in San Jose. We did have one notable trade to go down. Uh, it was between the Minnesota Wild and the Los Angeles Kings. All right, the Kings, they acquired forward Kevin Fiala from the Wild in exchange for defensive prospect Brock Faber and Minnesota's first-round pick in the uh, Next weekend's or this next month's draft, I should say. Uh, Brock Faber, if you remember, he was the he was the forty fifth overall pick in the twenty twenty draft. Still a young kid, played at the University of Minnesota, and he also represented Team USA at the Beijing Olympics uh, this past summer on Team USA hockey team. So uh, he is he's a good young player. Uh, Kevin Fiala, upon getting traded, immediately signed a seven year fifty five million dollar contract with the Kings. All right, so they're committed to him. He is committed to them. He's there to stay. Uh, One notable re-signing in the NHL, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. They have re-signed forward Nick Paul uh, to a seven-year, $22 million contract to keep Paul in Tampa. Now, uh, they acquired him at the trade deadline. And I've talked about this over the last couple uh, episodes, uh, recapping the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final, about how Nick Paul was a great trade deadline acquisition. He's about 6'4", 220 good power forward, and he has an ability to score. So uh, that is what you want, and he was a very valuable member to Tampa Bay's success here in the playoffs. I know they lost in the Stanley Cup final, but all in all it was a, a fairly successful uh, postseason for the Lightning, and he was a big part of that. So $3 bucks a year uh, for Nick Paul to stay for the next seven, that's a very good deal. Um, notable NHL news uh, as well. The 2022 NHL Hall of Fame inductees have been announced. And um, the four notable names uh, you have the Sedin brothers, Henrik and Daniel, uh, Roberto Luongo, goaltender, and then Daniel Alfredson. Now, with Henrik Sedin, 17 year career, 1,070 points in his career, he was the uh, 2009 2010 Hart Trophy winners, the league MVP, and he was third in scoring during his 17-year career, behind only Joe Thornton and Sidney Crosby. All right, so very good career for Henrik Sedin. Daniel Sedin, his brother, of course, they both played for the Vancouver Canucks. He had 1,041 points, all right, so about 29 points uh, fewer than his brother, and he did that in 1,306 games. He had a point eight points points-per-game average, just like Henrik. Uh, Daniel Sedin was more the goal scorer. Henrik was more the uh, assist guy. But uh, Daniel Sedin won the 2010-2011 Art Ross Trophy for the most points in the league, and that was the uh, year after uh, his brother Henrik was the league MVP, and he finished second in the MVP voting that year. Roberto Luongo, goalie I just mentioned, he was a longtime goalie for the Vancouver Canucks. He played uh, with the Sedin twins for a very long time there in Vancouver, uh, in fact, Luongo has played the second most games ever for a goalie with 1,044. And he has the fourth most wins of all time with 489. Career 919 save percentage and 77 shutouts. Both of those numbers are ninth all time amongst goalies. He was a Vesna Trophy finalist three times, which is league's top goalie, but he never won it. Um, he also won the gold medal with Team Canada in 2010 And he played 572 games with Florida, the Florida Panthers, 448 games with the Sedin brothers in Vancouver. Daniel Alfredson Alfredson was the last guy that I mentioned. He spent a majority of his career with the Ottawa Senators, played his final year as the Detroit Red Wing. He had 1,157 points in 1,246 games. That's the 55th most points of all time. Scored 444 goals, which is 64th all-time. Not overly impressive, but uh, still good enough to get him into Toronto. Uh, He won the Calder Trophy as the league's top rookie back in 1995-1996. He won an Olympic gold medal with those Sedin brothers for Team Sweden in 2006 and then won the silver medal in 2014. He played uh, 1,178 games. Out of his 1246 with the Ottawa Senators and the last 68 games of his career with the Detroit Red Wings. So ironically enough, all four of those Hall of Fame inductees there, uh, none of them won a Stanley Cup. They all uh, just won a gold medal in the Olympics, but uh, they all still had pretty illustrious careers there uh, in the NHL. Now, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, last piece of NHL news, they have reached a deal with National Capital Commission to develop a new arena in downtown Ottawa in the LeBreton Flats, right right in Smack Dab, in the middle of downtown Ottawa. They currently play uh, just south of downtown Ottawa in Canada, Ontario, all right, so just outside, so they're looking to move into uh, downtown, which to me doesn't make any sense with Canada, their nation's capital is Ottawa, and their hockey team doesn't even play in the city limits of the nation's capital, so... Uh, They will be shortly whenever that uh, stadium is developed, probably a few seasons, but um, that'll bring us over to the NBA. Lots, lots, lots of NBA news to get into, Uh, so this one's going to take a minute to get through. Uh, The NBA draft was last week, uh, last Thursday, all right? Uh, We didn't go over any prospects or anything, but um, I'll just kind of read off uh, the top 10 picks, all right? And... um, Some other notable picks. The first overall pick belonged to the Orlando Magic. A lot of speculation that they were going to draft uh, Auburn guard uh, Jabari Smith, but they went ahead and went with Duke forward Paulo Bancaro. He was probably the best player in the draft. That's who uh, I would have taken first overall, and that's who the Magic did. So the Magic drafted Paulo Bancaro out of Duke. The Oklahoma City Thunder took Gonzaga center Chet Holmgren, seven-footer, has a seven six wingspan. Great on both ends of the floor. Uh, can hit the three. So Holmgren goes to Oklahoma City. Houston Rockets uh, drafted third and they got a steal in Jabari Smith from Auburn, who was uh, much anticipated to go first overall. Uh, so he lands in Houston. The Sacramento Kings drafted fourth and they took Keegan Murray, guard out of Iowa. Uh, Detroit Pistons fifth. They drafted Jaden Ivey, guard out of Purdue. <clears throat> the Indiana Pacers had the sixth pick. They drafted uh, Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Guy can score. Great player. Uh, Good pick for the Pacers. Number seven, the Portland Trailblazers drafted Shaden Sharp from Kentucky. Very young player. I think he's only 19 years old. Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans drafted Dyson Daniels from the um, G League, NBA's G League, the Ignite team. San Antonio Spurs drafted Baylor uh, guard Jeremy Sochan. And with the tenth pick, the Washington Wizards drafted Wisconsin guard Johnny Davis, who was up there among the nation's leaders in scoring. Um, <clears throat> a couple other notable picks: number thirteen overall, the Charlotte Hornets. They actually traded down. The Detroit Pistons moved up to acquire Jalen Jalen Duran, uh, center from Memphis. Fourteenth uh, pick, Cleveland Cavaliers. They drafted Kansas guard Oche Abaji. He was um, uh, the Final four MVP, um, he can score, very good player. Uh, 15th, Charlotte Hornets, they drafted uh, Duke center Mark Williams. All right, so that was notable picks of the first round. Second round, uh, Indiana Pacers had the first pick in the second round. They took Gonzaga guard Andrew Nemhard. Uh, a couple other notable second rounders. New Orleans Pelicans uh, drafted Ohio State guard E.J. Liddell with the 41st pick. And then uh, Duke forward Trevor Keels went with the 42nd pick to the New York Knicks. So that's just a highlight of the draft. But the main news out of the NBA has been that uh, <clears throat> free agency has officially kicked off. All right, we've seen a lot of big money contracts given out. We've also seen a lot of massive trades go down as well. So some notable free agent signings: uh, the New York Knicks they are signing guard Jalen Brunson away from the Dallas Mavericks on a four-year, $104 million deal. Now, Brunson was rumored to be staying with the Mavericks, uh, but his dad got hired as the assistant coach of the Knicks, and the Knicks basically threw the kitchen table at him, gave him money that the Mavericks just simply could not afford to give him, and so Brunson goes to the Knicks. Uh, Dallas did sign center JaVale McGee to a three-year, $20 million contract. Good signing for the Mavericks. guy can score, he can rebound, and he'll go good with uh, Doncic. And Christian Wood, who they just recently acquired. Portland Trailblazers re signed a couple of their key players. Anthony Simmons, very young kid, only 23 years old, signed a four year, $100 million extension there. And then they also re signed forward Yusuf Nurkic to a four year, $70 million deal. Milwaukee Bucks, they re signed a fan favorite, maybe the heart and soul of that team, Bobby Portis, to a four year, $49 million contract. And they also signed. Uh, three-point specialist Joe Ingles to a one-year contract. The Philadelphia 76ers, they signed P.J. Tucker to a three-year, $33.2 million deal. And then this is where the big money contracts start coming in. Washington Wizards, they re-signed Bradley Beal to a five-year contract $251 $251 million max contract. There was talk that Beal would sign elsewhere to maybe compete for a championship, but for five years and $251 million, that is 50 million per season. Yeah, I would probably stay there too. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies, they re-signed their franchise player, John Morant, to a five-year, $193 million rookie contract that could become um, uh, worth uh, $231 million. So Um, based on where he's at, that's the most that he could get right now. Phoenix Suns, they re-signed their best player, Devin Booker, four years, $224 million Supermax contract extension. Just outrageous money. Uh, Chicago Bulls, they re-signed forward Zach Levine to a five-year, $215 million contract. And then the last big money contract so far to be handed out, uh, the Denver Nuggets, they re-signed... Two time NBA MVP Nikola Jokic, five years, $270 million. All right, that is more than $50 million per season on a Supermax contract. It's the largest contract in NBA history. All right, so just massive, massive money. Uh, Some notable trades that have gone down the Utah Jazz, they have traded away center Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for a haul. Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, who the Timberwolves just drafted the other night, Jared Vanderbilt, and multiple first-round picks. So just a haul. But you put uh, Carl Anthony Towns with Rudy Gobert, uh, that that, uh, that front court is just uh, ridiculous. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks made two trades. The first one was a big one. They traded uh, Danilo Gallinari and multiple first-round picks to the San Antonio Spurs in exchange for all-star guard DeJounte Murray. All right, Atlanta is sending uh, a first round pick next year plus a 2025 and 2027 first round pick. So the deal also includes a pick swap in 2026. All right, so it's uh, a huge trade for the Hawks. They get to pair DeJounte Murray with Trey Young. So expect a whole lot of scoring out of that duo. Um, the Hawks also traded away Kevin Herter to the Sacramento Kings in exchange for Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, and a future first-round pick. Indianapolis, or Indiana Pacers, rather, they traded guard uh, Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Daniel Thies, Aaron Neesmith, and next year's first-round pick. So very good trade for the Celtics who get Brogdon to go with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and uh, Marcus Smart and company. So uh, very impressive there for Boston. The New York Knicks, they traded uh, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, Second round pick next year, second round pick in 2024, and six million dollars uh, to the Detroit Pistons. Basically, it was a it was a, a salary cap dump, cleared 19 million dollars in cap space, which is uh, how they had the money to sign Jalen Brunson. Uh, some drama from the Brooklyn Nets. All right, two big things. First one, Kyrie Irving. Uh, there's always drama with that dude. Uh, Rumor was that he was not going to reach an agreement with Brooklyn to re-sign, and he had sent them a list of about six teams that he would accept to sign and trade to. There was no takers, so he ended up signing his uh, one-year option for this year, $36.5 million for this season only. Uh, So Kyrie Irving is staying in Brooklyn at that price tag. But the main news out of Brooklyn was that uh, Kevin Durant, probably the best player, one of the best players in the league, he has officially requested a trade out of Brooklyn, so uh, they can pretty much get whatever they want for Kevin Durant. So uh, keep an eye on that situation, and it is very likely that by the time we uh, record next week's episode that Kevin Durant will be a member of a team not named the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Houston Rockets guard John Wall. He agreed to a contract buyout with the Rockets and then promptly signed a two-year million contract with the Los Angeles Clippers. So the Clippers, um, it's a huge deal for them, okay, because they now have a big three of John Wall, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, who is now fully healthy after missing all of last year. So uh, add the Clippers to the list of Western Conference teams who are now certainly squarely in the mix uh, to compete for that uh, Western Conference finals championship so keep an eye on that that is uh, quite a bit there to deal with in Los Angeles Um, the other team in LA the Lakers uh, guard uh, Russell Westbrook he exercised his 47.1 million dollar option for this season and he's going to return to the Lakers so he has vastly underperformed this year or in his tenure as a Laker certainly this past year and um, but We'll see how this year goes. He's going to make damn near $50 million this year on a one-year deal, um, but that keeps the Lakers' big three of LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook uh, still intact for at least one more year. So uh, Philadelphia 76ers guard James Harden. He declined his $47.3 million option for this season, but uh, he still reports are indicating that he's going to sign maybe a two-year deal for less money uh, in hopes that the 76ers would use that extra cap space uh, appropriately, which they already have. They signed P.J. Tucker. I just mentioned that. So uh, that gives them good veteran presence, good three-point shooter <clears throat> to pair with Harden. Now, all of that money being dished out is just simply uh, just preposterous, right? Um, the NBA's salary cap... Uh, for the 2022-2023 season, is projected to come in at $123.6 million per team, which is an $11.6 million increase from last year, which the cap was at $112 million. So, uh, a little just like the NHL next season salary cap increase, we talked about that, I think, on last week's episode, maybe the episode before. NBA is following suit uh, simply due to the revenue that they've uh, been able to generate the last couple years during the COVID pandemic, finally um, is enough to where they can increase the salary cap. Uh, the luxury tax line is going to be at $150.2 million. So any team that goes over that has to pay luxury tax. So that is a ton of NBA news that we just rattled off. We'll move, uh, move over to Major League Baseball for a quick second. Uh, July 1st has arrived, and that means that it's Bobby Bonilla Day. All right. Every year, we don't remember Bobby Bonilla played for the, the New York Mets um, several several years ago. And uh, every year from 2011 to 2035, he uh, on July 1st he gets a 1.193 million dollar deposit into his bank account. The absolute worst contract in pro sports history um, for the Mets. Uh, terrific for Bonilla, terrible for the Mets. But yes, July 1st is Bobby Bonilla Day. Um, still on their payroll for the next uh, 13 seasons. Um, but the other big news and around the island deals with college sports, college football, particularly in college athletics in general. Uh, major recruiting news out of the college football world. The 2023 consensus number one overall recruit in high school, quarterback Arch Manning, he's the nephew of both Peyton and Eli Manning. Very sought-after uh, recruit. He had narrowed his list down to Oklahoma, I mean, uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas, all right? And uh, he has committed to uh, the University of Texas. So my beloved Texas Longhorns have snagged the top overall recruit in 2023, top quarterback, and um, he's going to be a big piece to that Texas future. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how Quinn Ewers, a former number one quarterback prospect from the 2021 class, uh, how he plays this year as the starter and how he moves into 2023 uh, as a junior, knowing that freshman Arch Manning will be uh, gunning for that starting job. But either way, it's a good problem to have for Texas as the Longhorns look to get back into the national powerhouse picture and their impending move over to the SEC. Now, uh, with Quinn Ewers, uh, he was, and, and Arch Manning, uh, since 247 Sports, all right, uh, it's a recruiting website. Since they began ranking high school prospects in the year 2000, there have only been three quarterbacks ever to be given a perfect composite score of 1.0000. All right, usually you see see some 99s, 98s, so on. But three quarterbacks have ever received a perfect 1.000 score, and that was Vince Young, Quinn Ewers, and Arch Manning. And all three of them, of course, uh, are Texas Longhorns. So um, hopefully... Uh, Texas can use that to their advantage. They certainly have. Um, Arch Manning's commitment has basically sent Texas uh, into a, uh, a steamroll of elite recruits. Uh, after Arch Manning committed, five-star safety Derek Williams from Louisiana, number six, uh, number 76 overall player in ESPN's Top 300. For 2023, he committed to the Longhorns, and so too did five-star wide receiver Jontae Cook. He's a local kid here in DeSoto, Texas. He's the number seven ranked wide receiver in the class. Uh, Those two became the seventh and eighth Longhorn additions since Arch Manning's commitment, and all eight of them have been uh, either three, four, or five stars. I think they have two five stars, uh, four four stars, and three three stars since Arch Manning's commitment. So you can see the snowball effect that Arch Manning is having, and there's some good things going on there in Austin. All right. Uh, It's brought Texas up to the. Uh, top recruiting spot in the rankings currently for 2023. Uh, The way that they're going, they still have several more elite prospects that are considering, including the very top linebacker uh, in the state of Texas, uh, Anthony Hill from Denton Ryan. Uh, He has narrowed it down to Texas and Texas A&M, so if he comes to Austin, that would certainly uh, maybe solidify Texas as a top three class. But um, I came across this this graphic um, that just showed the 2021-2022 NCAA Division I National Championships. All right, That's for various sports, uh, basically every sport that has D1 um, national champions. Um, the Texas Longhorns actually had four national championships uh, this school year. It was men's indoor track, women's tennis, rowing, and men's golf. Texas won the national title in all four of those sports. Florida Gators had three national championships. You had women's uh, indoor track, women's outdoor track, and men's outdoor track. All right, three natties for Florida. Stanford also had three natties. They had men's gymnastics, women's water polo, and women's golf. California Berkeley. Uh, they had two national t- championships, men's water polo, men's swimming and diving. All right. Oklahoma, they had two national titles, uh, women's gymnastics and softball, women's softball. We talked about that. Uh, the only other team, the only other college with two national titles this year were the Virginia Cavaliers. That was in women's swimming and diving and men's tennis. All right. Of course, the uh, University of Georgia had uh, FBS football. Uh, Kansas had men's basketball. Um, let's see, who else on this list? Uh, Ole Miss won men's baseball in the national championship. Uh, USC won uh, beach volleyball. University of Utah won skiing. And uh, Maryland University, University of Maryland, they won men's lacrosse. And the University of Wisconsin, won women's volleyball, all right, national championship, and Penn State won wrestling. So you see a lot of, uh, lot of Big Ten teams, a uh, lot of SEC teams. In fact, the SEC continues to be dominant. They have won the last three college football and college baseball national titles on the men's side, all by different school, schools, of course. Football, going backwards, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and then baseball, Ole Miss, Mississippi State last year, and Vanderbilt the year before. So the SEC continues to be a powerhouse, uh, and they're about to add Texas and Oklahoma to that mix uh, very soon. Now, speaking of conference alignment, some massive news out of the NCAA. Uh, It was announced that both USC and UCLA have an agreement in place to formally join the Big Ten Conference. That's right. You heard that right. Two West Coast teams from California, very prolific programs, each in their own right, uh, we'll be moving over to the Big Ten, and this should take place in the starting in 2024, all right? So the Pac-12 is losing out. Uh, it's basically becoming a two-conference powerhouse race here in college sports between the Big Ten and the SEC because, uh, like I said, Texas and Oklahoma are slated to move to the SEC in 2025. It would not surprise me if they moved starting in 2023, um, but... Texas and OU will be over there. And then uh, the Big 12 is getting a little boost. They lose Texas and OU, but they're going to be gaining BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and Houston, right? So lots of uh, lots of moving around here in the next couple of years, college football conferences. But uh, USC and UCLA joining the Big 10, uh, that is just uh, very big news. And uh, travel purposes, that's going to be a night- uh, just an absolute nightmare. All right, uh, some Bigger free agent conferences that I would fully expect to jump ship uh, to either the Big Ten or the SEC would be Notre Dame, uh, Clemson, you know, North Carolina, uh, possibly Duke. You know those conferences. Uh, there, those teams are, are would be good additions to either of those mega conferences that seem to be forming now. With regards to the Big Twelve, uh, remember Bob Bowlsby is stepping down as. Uh, Big 12 Conference Commissioner, and they have announced that Brett Yormark will be the new Commissioner and replace Bob Bowlesby. Now, Yormark is very interesting. He has zero experience in college sports. He's served as the uh, Chief Operating Officer, or COO, of Jay-Z's Rock Nation uh, Sports Agent uh, Company since January. Uh, he was, before being the COO, he was uh very high up with Rock Nation, but um, it's it's really an out of the box hire for the Big Twelve. Like I said, um, you know, collegiate sports is vastly changing at the moment. The entire landscape with the NILs and stuff like that. So uh, they get uh, Brett Yormark as the commissioner, who has a lot of uh, experience in dealing with signing uh, professional sports. Uh, players, to, you know, and their agents and whatnot. So, with with Rock Nation, so uh, the NIL certainly had an impact on that. I said very little experience at the collegiate level, but uh, he did spend fifteen years with Barclays Sports and Entertainment um, before becoming the um, Rock Nation COO. So, a uh, lot of lot of big college news there. And then just to wrap it up real quick, this is one random note: um, if you watch the ESPYS, right the uh, the ESPY Awards. Uh, Every year they announce the new host. Well, this year it's Golden State Warriors guard Steph Curry. All right, Fresh off of his NBA championship and NBA finals MVP, Uh, Steph Curry has been selected to be the host of the annual ESPY Awards, which will take place on July 20th. So that is going to wrap up the 81st episode of Sports Island. Again, information packed. Uh, Lots of stuff to get into probably on next week as well. Uh, Major League Baseball is the only sports season that's uh still going on professional you know major major pro sport that's still going on so we'll have another standings update there uh nba free agency has been madness already in the first two days so i would fully expect that to continue we'll have lots to discuss there and then um, certainly as we move into the nhl's off season plenty to discuss there and then uh, pga tour we're quickly approaching uh, our fourth and final major championship so uh lots lots of good stuff on next week's episode as well but uh we will uh we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.